Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. that's gusto.com slash being boss. Welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creatives, business owners, and entrepreneurs who want to take control of their work and live life on their own terms. I'm your host, Emily Thompson, and in this episode, I'm chatting with Carla Pelicano from the team at FAIR on the current state of the world of brick and mortar and maker commerce, what's changing, what's staying the same, and how you can prepare for the future. You can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and share us with a friend. Our audience survey results are in, and yet again, the biggest challenge facing business owners like you is marketing. So I have a podcast recommendation for you. It's time to check out Imperfect Action, hosted by Steph Taylor, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Imperfect Action is a bite-sized online marketing podcast for business owners. Join Steph as she answers all your business marketing questions and deep dives into the nitty-gritty of online marketing, content marketing, social media marketing, and marketing strategy for business owners. I recently had the pleasure of sitting in on a live recorded episode by Steph where she broke down the marketing potential arising from the world of Web3 for small business like us. And y'all, listening to her talk about Web3 finally, finally made it make sense in my head. And her library of content is just waiting for you to tune in. Listen to Imperfect Action wherever you get your podcasts. Carla Pelicano is the head of product at FAIR, a marketplace for small wholesalers to provide products to brick and mortar stores, where she leads the product management team and oversees product development for all customers. She has 15 plus years of product management and leadership experience across consumer and B2B marketplaces. She thrives on problems that require optimizing outcomes across multiple stakeholders. Prior to FAIR, she was at Airbnb for over six years. Carla, welcome to Being Boss. I'm so glad to have you here. Emily, thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be with you today. Perfect. I'm so excited to be chatting with someone from FAIR. I was just telling you that I have been a user of FAIR for several years, both on the wholesale side. So at Almanac Supply Co., my um, my retail business, we do have a wholesale arm where we make and sell candles and some other items as well. Uh, we've used FAIR for several years to... Um, to sell our products to other retailers. And then now that we have the retail store, which I opened um, a little over a year ago, I use, thank you very much. Um, I use FAIR as a retailer as well. Um, I actually even buy from lots of bosses through FAIR, which is a ton of fun to be able to support this community that we've built here at the podcast um, through that. So we're carrying boss made goods in Almanac Supply Co. It's like a whole beautiful full circle moment. So I'm very familiar with FAIR, what it is that you guys do and how it is that you help um, help this community. 
I would love to hear from you and so that everyone can know a bit more about FAIR, what it is that you do there and how it is that you found yourself in that space. For sure. Why don't I start with what FAIR is and then I can give you a little bit of the background of how I made a journey over to FAIR. So for those of your audience who are not familiar, FAIR is an end-to-end wholesale marketplace that allows independent retailers and brands to build and run their businesses. You can think of it as an online trade show or a wholesale version of Etsy where independent brands on one side and independent retailers are on the other. And these are the retailers that you often find on the main street in your town. And our job is to connect them and make it easier for them to build really valuable relationships. And our aspiration is to help them compete on a more level playing field against the the retail big box giants like Amazon and, and Walmart. And we think that we have a role to play in bringing them together to do so. So in addition to that core marketplace uh, where they transact, our platform offers a number of simple but powerful tools like data insights, payment terms, logistical solutions that help our customers do business more effectively. And over the last 18 months, FAIR has expanded to 17 new countries uh, throughout Europe and Australia. And we are now supporting 600,000 independent retailers and over 85,000 brands in total all around the world. That's amazing. Congratulations. That is huge growth, I feel, based on what I remember from seeing things a couple of years ago. That is massive. It is. And I mean, it's it's been an amazing journey and it's been an amazing story to be part of because I think it just indicates how valuable and important the service that we're providing is to these small businesses. And yeah. they've been a huge part of actually growing um, this community. For sure. I can't imagine having or knowing what I know from the retail side of things and even from the wholesale side of things. You know, I I spent 10 years before this um, doing websites, building websites for a lot of makers. And oftentimes we would build wholesale platforms on, you know, onto their e-commerce websites, which was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a nightmare to build. It was a nightmare for them to manage. Um, and whenever you're managing those relationships on your own, on platforms that you're building yourself, like it was, it was a heavy lift for a micro business to do all on their own. Totally. And once Fair joined the playing field, it was like, finally, finally, there is a way to do this. And now that I'm in the retail space, I even see the other side of it is I can't imagine what it would be like to stock a store in the old model now. It was a lot of work and it was, I think, a lot of unpredictability. The way things used to work is you would go to a live trade show or you would work with sales reps and trade shows only happen a few times a year. They have a lot of benefits. It's, there's nothing to substitute being able to like see and feel goods in person. But imagine you've just paid for a ticket to go to a trade show as a retailer or you've you know bought a very expensive booth at one of these shows as a brand and you're sort of reliant on chance like the chance that a retailer is going to stop by and talk to you or the chance that you as a retailer are going to get to everything in this in this massive showroom. Um, and it's it, there was a lot of unpredictability to it. There was a lot of chance to it. And there was it was so time bound. And so I think we really have answered a need and, and, and complemented those things really well by saying like, now you can actually find each other and transact any time of day, 365 days a year. And we're going to do the thing that we are good at and, and the stuff where we have expertise around 
helping um, helping with like online matching and discovery to make it so that you can sort of navigate what it is that you're that you need and are looking for or the kind of business that you want to build as a brand more easily. Yeah, it makes it easier for both sides of the equation, which I think is wonderful. And I think just a testament to how much FAIR has grown in the past couple of years. It is very needed. It has is providing a service that tons of people need in order to do more of what it is that they do. So I love what you guys do. I'm obviously in on it. <laughs> Super user, maybe. You're a um, deep user. <laughs> I am a deep user from both sides. And I think it's really fantastic what you guys have put together. Um, okay, so what do you do there? And how did you find your say? How did you find your way there? Yeah, so I lead FAIR's product management and product operations teams. The product management team is responsible for working cross-functionally with engineering, design, data science, and a number of other functions to create and build products. So the product that you interact with, either as a brand or a retailer, there is a product manager that's responsible for every aspect of that product. And the product operations team partners really closely with our product managers to effectively launch those products and get them out there in the world, in the hands of our customers, But also they work really closely with our operational teams who end up supporting those products, whether you're writing into our customer support team or you're interacting with one of our account managers or one of our sales representatives. So those are the two teams that I lead. And my journey to FAIR, I'll I'll go back in time, but you can cut me off at any time if I get long-winded. But I think something that's sort of interesting or like very relevant to the story of like how I made this journey is... Um, a long time ago, uh, college, I was a math major and I, you know, there's not really much that you do as a math major in the world with the skills that you learned in college, unless you want to be a math professor. And I did start grad school and drop out and, and realize that I was chasing someone else's dream and I needed to find my own. And one of the things that I had done in college, I had taken some computer science classes and the ones I loved were the really practical ones where you built stuff. Like this was like late nineties. So it was building websites. And I loved it. I, you know, this was before there was a website for everything. And so in the back of my head, there was this part of me that was just itching to do more with tech to enable like just more products, services and experiences for people. So tuck it away in the back of my head, but I got lost for a little while. Um, The economy was in a terrible place. I drifted around. I owed a bunch of money on student loans. And I decided um, after a year of teaching high school math, I was going to work in finance to try to pay off those loans. And and I did that. And that's actually where my career as a product manager was born. I worked on trading systems. And there were definitely people who knew the math and knew the stats better and could do the modeling that I was originally hired to do faster. But I, I filled a niche where I was talking to the traders who were going to use these systems and the technologists who were building them. And I could help to spec out and design the system that they ultimately would need. And so this was where my career as a product manager was born, although in finance, nobody's really called a product manager. Uh, So after however many years there and paying off my loans, I now had the freedom and the terrifying experience of needing to figure out what I actually wanted to do with my life. And I joined a couple of friends every week in getting together and ideating on companies. We might want to start sort of going back to that college experience of what's a product that we can build. You know, I can, I now knew my function in the world. I could, I can build technology products. And this was when the iPhone first came out. And so we started thinking about mobile apps and what were all these amazing mobile use cases we could build. And fast forward, I did a startup that was somewhat successful, but not that successful. I I ran product there for three years. We became a mobile ad tech company, which wasn't something I was passionate about. And, And I had the fortune to be able to 
um, work on things that I was more passionate about at that point in time. So I moved on, started my own company, and we were working on an, you know, an artificial intelligence personal assistant to schedule meetings. That was really hard. It only went so well. But it landed me in an aqua hire to Airbnb. And for those in your audience who aren't familiar with an aqua hire is, it's, it's basically when a company buys you, but it's really they're, they're looking to acquire talent. So it's really like they gave you a job and they might have given your investor some money as well. Um, so I landed at Airbnb in an aqua hire in 2014. And that was a huge privilege because I had developed along the way a real sense of respect and admiration for small businesses. When I was originally looking for what kind of a company I wanted to start, I thought it was really weird that Silicon Valley in particular heroizes um, people who raise like a seed round of a million dollars to start a company. And there are all these small business entrepreneurs everywhere who don't do that. They just plunk down their credit card and like go in debt if they have to because they believe in themselves and want to invest in their passion and their desire to work for themselves. And I just had this like deep respect and admiration for the sort of micro entrepreneur, or the individual entrepreneur. And I felt like I was going to scratch that itch a lot at Airbnb because Airbnb was all about empowering hospitality entrepreneurs. And I had the opportunity to, again, do what I love and do what I'm good at, which is build online products to empower anybody who had a little space and the inclination to provide hospitality to earn a living. And I think that if you get to earn a living doing something you're passionate about in the world, that's a huge privilege. Um, and so I just felt deeply satisfied working on that. So I spent six years at Airbnb. Honestly, I thought I was going to be stuck there because I loved the mission so much. I thought there's never going to be another company I can go work for where I'm going to love the mission as much as the one that I love. And I also got an opportunity to work on a lot of subject areas that I found really intellectually challenging. I led a team called Marketplace Dynamics, which worked on pricing, commission structure, cancellation policies. I was responsible for, my teams were responsible for cancellations during COVID, which you can imagine was a pretty wild experience. Um, and then I met Max Rhodes, our CEO, at the end of 2019. And when he started talking about what FAIR is doing in the world, I was immediately taken with the mission. And I realized that there might be another company I could work for out there. And um, fast forward a year, I ended up joining FAIR as its head of product. And what really drew me to FAIR, as I've mentioned now, is, again, this same unique opportunity to do something that I love doing and to build for small businesses and to, to really build a platform that allows for people with a passion, people with a talent to be more successful and, and in particular to stay in business, to thrive and to compete against, you know, a, a type of consolidation that I'm not excited to see take over the commerce world. Yeah. Oh, that's such an amazing story. I, I often find that listening to stories of people on the show that it is always a really windy road to get to the thing that is yours, right? And totally. I feel like you, you are no exception to that rule of of you just sort of show up, you do what you have to do, you figure it out, and you end up finding your way to the thing if you, you know, stay true to yourself and and really with your eye on what you are passionate about. And I also have to thank you for being, a, a, I'll call it a behind the scenes sort of champion for 
us in our community and what it is that we do showing up to do that kind of work, um, to build the tools that allow us to show up because many bosses here are in, you know, some real estate, uh, real estate things, they're running Airbnb sort of side hustles, you know, to fill in the gaps or whatever it may be. I know that's a really common thing amongst our community. And then also now being at fair helping out the maker and retail crowds too. Um, you really are like the woman behind the scenes sort of helping make all of this happen for us. So thank you. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to thank me. I feel lucky. I feel lucky to work on something yeah. that I believe in. And again, I think that those of us who can do that are really fortunate in this world. Yeah. And I guess maybe to comment on the other thing that you just said about the windy road, I, I listened to one of your other podcasts where you and um, I forget who you were um, talking with. We're really talking about this, just not a direct path. And yeah. I'm a huge believer in that. And my my first 10 years of career, I was I felt so tortured. Like I was not doing what I wanted to be doing. And every moment of that time, I felt like I should be doing something else. And I didn't appreciate that it was part of the journey and the journey is so important. And I have just a tremendous respect at this point for how each moment of your career, really of your life, is just an opportunity that to the extent that you can kind of relax and sink into it and get what you need out of it, I think you can enjoy the journey and the unfolding and, and even more learning and opportunity sort of prevents it, presents itself to you. So the number one advice I give to people is to just not get so crazy about optimizing each moment of your professional career is longer than you think it will be. And it's going to be far less direct than you wish it will be. Absolutely. Great lesson. I agree with all of those things. Think of a time when you felt disconnected from work. Maybe an important email got sent to spam only for you to find it when it was way too late. Maybe a partner or a team member took an action based on old information when an update could have saved so much time and effort. Or maybe you finally went on vacation and came back to customer complaints. Being disconnected has a steep cost. If your teams and systems aren't talking to each other, it's impossible to see the full picture, to take the right actions. And do you know who pays the steepest price? It's not you. It's your customer. With all of your teams on the same page and all of your data in one place, HubSpot can transform your everyday conversations, strategic decision-making sessions, and everything in between into moments customers feel good about. And with a lovingly crafted suite of tools, you can seamlessly connect your team so everyone has access to the same data and you're able to focus on what really matters, your customers. Learn how HubSpot can help your business grow better at HubSpot.com. All right, I'm really excited to dive into kind of the world of retail and product and sort of pull out some of the insights that you've gained um, over the past couple of years, because I do think you have an incredibly unique view of sort of the economy of this space and what's happening and the trends and all of those things. So I'm really excited to dive into those things with you, because I think we can all agree that really with the rise of the tech world, entrepreneurship being a maker, like a micro maker business and retail doesn't look like it looked like 10 years ago, let alone 20 or 30 years ago. But also, that's not very much time <laughs> in the grand scheme. Whenever I think about the timeline of, you know, being a merchant, <laughs> for example, we're looking at the past four seconds, maybe totally. when everything has totally flipped. So uh, maybe let's even just keep it kind of open-ended on that at the moment. What are your thoughts around that from your perspective of how much things have changed and maybe what some of the biggest changes you see happening from where you sit? 
I think that's a really astute um, observation is just how much change has happened in such a small period of time. I think the last 20 years in particular, in terms of everything moving online to start, then the rise of mobile, then the rise of social, like there's just been so much change in terms of commerce. And I think the thing that I love is how much certain things endure throughout that, in particular, brick and mortar has really firmly established that it's not going anywhere. And that the the small business owners are as as resilient and as scrappy and as adaptable as anybody else. And you know, I I think that we see one of the trends I think we see is that even sort of things that feel more classic like brick and mortar, the people who are running those businesses are constantly learning and they're constantly embracing new things, whether that's more technology to better run their store in terms of like point of sale systems, inventory management systems, platforms like FAIR to help them source inventory more you know, efficiently, um, social in terms of how they're actually going to be reaching customers and getting their br- establishing their brand and getting it out there. So I'd say one of the amazing observations or trends that I've seen is that just people love learning and people embrace new and people have rolled with all the change that we've seen. And that I think there's a huge amount of opportunity to continue building technology and products that are going to enable um, businesses to continue to thrive and be more successful. So that's sort of a meta point around it, which is that people are excited, adaptable learning. And then I think it's definitely worth talking for a moment about social. And I'm I'm actually curious for how, what your experience and journey with social has been, but there's just no denying that like social media has become such an important part of the commerce world and that it's changing so rapidly all the time. Everything we thought we knew about social like five years ago is so different today, even like three years ago. Um, And I think you have more and more consumers who are turning to social media that to inform shopping decisions. And you have social media marketing now as a result of that becoming an increasingly valuable tool and an important tool for small businesses. And so I think during busy shopping months in particular, social media is probably a really important way for businesses to be attracting new customers, to be increasing sales, to be building more connections and community um, with, uh, with their customers. So social, I think, is is probably one of the most fascinating ones, and it's impossible to like pin down at any moment. I don't think anybody, like however many years ago, it was all about, you have a page on Facebook, and you have a little bit of a community about your store. And then there was live selling happening on Facebook. And then there's like, you know, TikTok comes along, and there's random videos. And then those videos are like the biggest source of like shopping. And, you know, Instagram ads in terms of like targeting is like beyond impeccable. And so I think that like, there's just so many ways in which one can and should be paying attention to social in terms of how you're going to grow your presence as a brand or a retailer and how you're going to better connect with community. Yeah, I agree with all those points. I want to go back to what you were saying with brick and mortar being the sort of like, classic way of doing business because I because I have a viewpoint from both sides like I have being boss we have an online community on almost online only we do some things offline or IRL <laughs> as we'll yeah. call it um I see both what happens when you have an online only business and then when you have a very traditional brick and mortar you know we're literally making our own candles in house like it is like very hands on very in it 
and very traditional. So I see the world of business and how things are shifting and changing through both of those lenses in a way that blows my mind every time I like sit down to look at my numbers or, you know, think about the next strategy, whatever it may be, because they are completely different worlds. And one of the things that I love most about Almanac is that that class, there are so many elements of that classicness that aren't going to change, right? Like they are like foot traffic, important always going to be important, always will be important. Like there are things that just don't shift and change. And they've been that way for literally thousands of years, in some cases, which I love. Whereas at Being Boss, we are writing a new playbook every six weeks. More or less. I feel like we are constantly showing up and needing to reinvent the wheel because the strategy that we was working last time isn't working this time, all these things. So there is this, there is this, this, um, expectedness that I have in Almanac and that brick and mortar aspect or even just retail because I even think to some level like retail online also has a little bit more stickiness to it than you know just purely informational service-based business that I really love at Almanac. So that is something that I definitely see and feel and I love and I think makes for uh, makes for a really less stressful way of doing business. (laughs) I'll call it, I think, compared to a lot of our audience. And then I also want to touch base on, oh, what was the second point you were making? Well, one more thing just to add on that before we move off of it. There's another important thing, which is I've come to respect the things you don't want to change with tech. Mm -hmm. Like there are certain things that you want to try to enhance or augment, but I would never want to show up with a hubris of telling a retailer, "You you need to buy these products. And I would love to give you information about things that we see that are selling well, but I'm not going to have the audacity to say, I know your customer necessarily better than you do. um, And that I know exactly where you are in the world and the kind of foot traffic and, and just sort of all the nuance that you can pick up with, pick up on that. I'm just not going to be able to, from where I sit. And, and so we think about our role as like, how, like, where are the places where we do replace things? Where are the places where we try to amplify and be a great support and be able to just accelerate or make easier um, certain things that free people up for doing what, you know, honestly can't be replaced. And I think like customer service and, and talking to your customers about products and about your products, but the other products that you sell, I want to be able to, you know, free you up for that. But I also don't want to replace the things that you love about running a, running a shop or running a brand. Yeah. Yes. And that hits on the second thing you were talking about of this idea of augmenting what works with what's new Mm -hmm. through in social media. And that's something we're obviously talking about. It's like everyone's favorite topic all the time is social media. Um, In our community, especially everyone wants to know what's working, what's not working, all of those things. And I do think that brick and mortar business owners do have, um, there is like a special bit of resilience and it has to include also this willing to learn the next thing and and augment what works and what has worked for you know so many years with what where we're moving into because we are moving into a we're in it <laughs> a completely different era of yeah. of commerce and um and I love that that's that's one of the things that you guys do at fair but it's also one of the things that 
you know, we're all looking at and going, okay, we have to accept that social media is a thing. We have to accept that um, there are POS systems that can make everything so much easier. Like there's there's just things that are no-brainers that you have to get into and that resistance to change is not a place for for our realm of of business owner to play in if they want to stay around very long. Totally. And I'll say, you know, I obviously I've worked in tech for 20 years and it's a place where I feel very comfortable. The progress in social media is dizzying to me. Yeah. And I can only <laughs> imagine for, you know, and, and in some ways this is this is my trade, this is my work. I I need to be up on these various technologies and figuring out how we incorporate them into the products and services we build for small business owners where this is like part of how you do business, but it's not your core business. I can only imagine how it feels. And so it, it makes us want to work harder to make sure that we're providing the right simplification or integration that allows you to use these tools more effectively for your for your purposes. Yeah, I will say one of the things that, you know, we've gone into because it's easy with social media, we won't spend the entire time talking about social media, but just to sort of sort of bring us back to this sort of interesting juxtaposition between old and new is, um, is I'm not a huge user of social media, surprisingly, maybe to some people. Um, but we, I obviously know that there's a place for it in the businesses that I run and we use it. Um, but we also have found ourselves going back to a lot of those like old school air quotes methods of flyers and postcards and bags. And I'm looking at like billboard campaigns and these sorts of things because whenever you can really pair the two, one of the, one of the problems that I see with social media often is that it's so again, air quotes, easy um, is that it's the only thing people do. But mm-hmm. I love pairing it with these these old methods that are tried and true and still definitely work and are a great pairing to those things. It is that it is that balance of of what has worked and what is old and like tried and true and the new things that are also working and pairing them together um, that I think is is something we all need to embrace moving forward. Totally. I think that also hits on something that I often say about product development, which is that you have to get off. You have to leave your desk. You can't do only the things that you can just sit here and get done from your computer. That's not how you meet people in the world. And I think that there's been a ton, and we've seen this obviously with the rise of Facebook and Google, we've seen overemphasis on advertising, like online advertising as a solution for everything, as the solution for all of your customer acquisition needs. And it's partly because it doesn't require you to leave your desk. But I do think that there's a whole lot of room to be creative and to to figure out how you make offline and online meet more effectively. And um, you know this, obviously, because you have a brick and mortar presence and a physical presence is one of those ways. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great, such a great parallel there, because that is something that we see often. And you're right. Getting up from your desk, walking away from your phone, going out into the world. I mean, that is that's those are really the kinds of connections we're all here to build anyway. We just sort of get lost in the in the scrolling um, that is so easily available to us. Um, okay, so this juxtaposition of of old and new, online, offline, all of these things. How does fair fit into this? What are you guys doing to? Um, to either bridge a gap or fill a hole or, you know, augment, like, what are you guys doing in this space? So I think we thought a lot about how we are going to bridge offline and online in particular, when we first started, because we knew that there were a lot of valuable things that people were getting out of going to trade shows or talking to their sales reps, 
that were not going to be easily replicable just via a website. And so we thought a lot about what kinds of services and value propositions we needed to be able to layer in to make it work. So one of the things that you're probably familiar with is that FAIR offers um, free returns on opening orders the first time that you're ordering from a brand. And we recognize that it, there's a leap of faith involved in deciding that like, I'm going to order not just one or two, but like some order minimum number of this product to sell in my store. What if it doesn't sell? My discovery budget is blown. What if the product arrives and it doesn't meet my standards of quality? Um, you know, obviously we do a lot to vet the quality on the platform and we hope all our products meet your standard of quality. But what if it isn't the right product for your store and for your customers and, and you didn't have the opportunity to see it in person? Um, so we, we provide free returns on those opening orders because we know it's really valuable in general, but also because it's a really valuable, it's an important part of being able to move from the offline experience to the online one. And that's something that we invested a lot of time and money, frankly, into getting right, because uh, it can be really expensive to take a whole bunch of returns back on products that don't sell. And uh, we, we had a commitment because we believe this was going to be a really important part of bridging that sort of online to offline. And, you know, other things that we're, we're trying to do to help is we recognize that outside of FAIR, there's obviously a ton of consolidation that's happening in the world and benefits of scale for the Walmarts and the Amazons as a result of it that creates a pretty unfair situation for the independents. And so one of the things that we thought to ourselves is how do we use our scale to be able to provide competitive advantage here. And one of the things that we were able to do is offer net 60 payment terms. And those terms, you know, we obviously, we're footing the bill here. We're figuring out on our balance sheet, what are the credit limits that we can afford to offer? We do the underwriting and we, we understand the risk. And, you know, if you're a brand, this is a huge benefit you get to offer to your retailers that costs you nothing right now. And, um, and if you are a, you know, retailer, these are really valuable terms. Like many of our retailers play with a credit card. So they're essentially getting a net 90, right? Because they have 30 days to pay their credit card bill. And that means they can sell a lot of product before they ever have to pay for it. And you know more than anybody, that type of cash flow is really valuable. And this is just another example where we're using the our, our scale. We're using our ability to create this tech to be able to offer what we think is an important value proposition for, I guess, in this in this way, it's like a little bit competing against, um, you know, the the benefits of scale and consolidation that the independents will never have, right? By nature of being independent, that's not how you're going to look to have an advantage. Um, but so we think a lot about where can we use our scale and actually make that your scale. So how do we say that like you're just one independent retailer, but actually you're part of a community of 600,000 and a community of 600,000 has a lot of power and has a lot of benefits of scale. And we do that, you know, through a number of other things too, like the data and the analytics that we provide and the trends that we provide on our website and on our blog, those are informed by this much larger community. So you might be one independent brand and not understanding you know, necessarily what is trending at any given time. And we're able to provide those additional insights because we have obviously a much larger community that we are representing. So I'd say those are, those are some of the things. Um, and I, I'm trying to think if there are a couple of other ones. Um, those are, those are the, probably the, the main ones that come to mind. 
I love it. And as someone who uses it, I can I feel the benefits of those things. And I I I love that you put it in those words because I just, you know, I see them. I'm like, okay, features. They're trying to get me over competitors. I love that. <laughs> but hearing it hearing it be such a thoughtful process as to how it is that you can help us compete and how it is that we can take advantage of that skill and how it is that, you know, even the returns is sort of online offline balance of if we're not there at a trade show touching, feeling it, talking to the person, we are taking a leap on a new brand or a new product or whatever. Um, hearing the thoughts, the thought process behind that, um, it makes a lot of sense. It makes me, makes me feel great about, um, about using them because I see why they're there and how they are going to be helpful. And those returns in particular are also so important to our brands. We want our brands to get discovered by more retailers. And so we know that there's like, how do we, how do we remove the friction for allowing for more of those, those relationships to be developed? Is anyone else eyeballs deep in the return of travel, conferences, retreats, meetups, which means receipts? I'll be honest, I'd gotten used to not having my wallet overflowing with wads of flimsy paper that I just had to save. Luckily, that's not how we have to live anymore. Not me or you, thanks to FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. In fact, organizing your expenses has never been easier. Take photos of receipts with your phone using the FreshBooks mobile app and then throw the receipt away. You can even do one better by applying receipts directly to clients or invoices when you need. Travel lighter and still do your job. What more can a boss ask for? Try FreshBooks free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash being boss to get started today. I would love to hear about you talked about, you know, our our big brother competitors out there. I feel like there is some there has to be some sort of drive there that has fed into not only you being a part of fair but also fair just existing. What is the importance that you feel in this economy, in the economy of the brick and mortar of the small makers, et cetera, that really feeds into both you and fair? Yeah, I I think it's it's I think these are shared values. Um, but I'll definitely I'll say these are my own values, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're very much shared by fair. <laughs> um, we believe that the brick and mortar retailer, the independent retailer, provides outsized value in our world. The places that we choose to le- live, the communities that we like to walk around in, they're not you know the strip of big box stores. It's the main street in our town that has cute shops that we go into where when you talk to the people who work in that store, they actually know the products that they're selling. They picked them. They have a passion for them. They can tell you brand stories and they're excited to. And there's somebody you're going to see and there's somebody your kids are, you know, your kids are going to go to school with their kids and they're just part of your community. There's like a social contract. And I guess we feel very much that it, it's it's a community and it's an important part of the fabric of our like of of our commerce world that we want to preserve and that we want to that we want to support we don't want to like we're not looking to be charity here in any way we're not saying like let's give them money to stay in business we're saying how do we make it so that they have the opportunity how do we make it so that there's a level a more level and more even playing field and we really think about like how can we help them work together more? And how can we bring them the benefits of the scale that we've accumulated by having so many retailers and having so many brands on the platform? So I think it's just this sense that like, this is an important part of our world, this is an important part of how commerce should be transacting. And therefore, like we're just very driven to continue to support it. 
Um, and then I would say, there, sorry, there was one other part of your question um, that I, or there was one other thing that I was thinking of with respect to your question, but it's escaped me. Maybe it'll come back. If it comes back, feel free to interrupt and we, we will get back to it. That yeah. That is... That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, actually, yeah. on the brand side of things, because I've talked, oh, yes. I think, a fair bit about retailers. Um, this one is partly me, partly fair. Um, I don't know how much this is like stated fair, but I am very much someone for whom like uh, junk really bothers me. Um, I I really hate to see poorly made, low quality products that get used and thrown away. Um, I don't know what it is. It just, it drives me crazy. And um, I've been a big believer. I was raised that you buy something that's well-made, you maintain it, you keep it forever if you can. My husband laughs at me because I'll say, he'll say, nice shirt. I'm like, do you know how long I've had this shirt? And he's like, I don't know, (laughs) since 1992. And he's probably right because I, it's really like, I just believe in, in well-made quality things. And so I find that the values of the brands on fair more closely aligned to mine. These are people who really take pride in what it is they're creating. They're building better products. They're their interest isn't mass scale and maximizing profit at all costs. They're not looking to outsource everything to get something made as cheaply as possible. They're definitely looking to make a living. They're definitely looking to, um, you know, be successful, but they're not sacrificing what I think is a really important level of quality. And so again, it's just, it super aligns with my values. Like these are the kinds of products that I, I want to see in the world. Yeah. Oh, that is so great. I feel like anytime you're pu- you're driven by a mission like that and find a space like this in order to work towards it, like that just that gives me warm fuzzies. <laughs> so I'm glad that you have found that in this space. Or I'm you. glad that you I'm glad that you have those values and that you have found an avenue through which you can do work to support them because you're right. I mean, cute little main streets are my favorite. Obviously, <laughs> they're important to me, um, mm-hmm. right? And I know that the majority of our audience either prefers those kinds of places to or are active participants in them in some capacity or another, either as a uh, as a store owner or as a maker who's supplying them. Um, they are the economy that drive our audience in a lot of ways. So, so I'm glad to hear that um, that you hold that. I feel like you may have answer at least some of this question, but we talked about some of the changes that we've seen in this sort of retail um, and maker business economy. What have you found has just stayed the same? That's a really good question. What has stayed the same? I I actually think that um, some things that have stayed the same are that people still want to know the story of mm-hmm. the the brand and the product that they're buying or and maybe that's actually not stayed the same maybe that's amplified over the last however many years but i think that um there people want to feel connected um both with the place where they're purchasing something as well as the the maker of the thing that they're purchasing um i would say um i you know i would say I don't know. I, I guess I'm I'm about to get into something that is maybe it's changed and it's also stayed the same, which is that um, consumers want to shop local, and so I think that's like something that has been the case for a really long time, and maybe it's actually gotten stronger. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of movement around shop local, and um, you know, 
some I, I read some stat not long ago that like the number of independent bookstores in the country has like actually increased significantly over the last however many years when we all thought that they were dying off, um, you know, about 10, 15 years ago. And so maybe what I'll say is we've recognized that local retail, local commerce is here to stay. And that's a nice staying power um, or a nice um, thing that stayed the same. I think um, the the value of customer service is something that has has also I think remained like pretty constant and and in fact I think it's 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 a place where you know sort of like the the big online ones have have really tried to compete right because there's a lot of ways in which they can't and and so they're throwing a little bit of extra emphasis there but I think they come up short because there's nothing like the personal connection that you get when you're actually you know in person uh, and so. I think that's another thing that has, has stayed the same is the emphasis on um, personal connection and customer service being really important. I'll say another one though is price consciousness. I think that generally speaking, um, you know, people are pretty price conscious, and that is, I, I it's pricing is something that I worked, I have worked on now um, for over eight years when it comes to building product and. It is always one of the most important and impactful things and being able to compete on price and and um, being able to offer something at the price points that are important to your customers is really powerful and is really important. And there's a lot of ways of doing that. Right. There's, you know, obviously taking costs out of system. It's not just about like discounting something. Uh, but understanding willingness to pay, being able to produce something that you still believe in, but that meets the price point of your customer, I think has just remained really important. Yeah. I agree with all of those points, even just anecdotally being in the store. I think all of those are incredibly important. And, you know, we operate in a area that gets a lot of tourist traffic as well. And it's always entertaining to me, the people who will walk in the store who just want to buy something with the word Chattanooga on it. Yeah, like that sort of like they they want to rep local. It's not just they want to buy local; they want to rep local, which yeah. I think is such an interest. I'm always like, okay, that's weird, but I got some. <laughs> I've got totally. things for you. Um, I and all that's of something things. that hasn't changed, <laughs> <laughs> right? All of those things resonate with me for sure from things that I've seen in the store, and I think I think it's one of those things that will also they haven't changed or, you know, have been amplified, but I think it's, it is what gives us the staying power to keep doing the thing. Um, and in spite of our, you know, big box competitors, um, I, before we wrap up, cause I think we are sort of getting to the end of it. I feel like since I have you here, all this experience and, and data crunching and, and building the things I would love to talk, I would love to like look into the future. Of like okay. what you see coming in the world of product and retail, especially in this mom and pop um, sort of vibe of what we're talking about here. What do you see coming in this little piece of the economy? You mean in in terms of this segment that we've been talking yeah. about? Do you mean with respect? Okay. Uh, like you're not looking to me to provide macroeconomic guidance. No, without, no, no, no. Okay, definitely not. Great. <laughs> Good. Um, I, I won't be at all uh i won't at all have the hubris to think that like i can predict what's coming in social sure. because i i just can't and as we've already discussed it changes so quickly but i would say um what's coming is more change and it is something that people should be looking at um it's a place where uh you know they most businesses always pay attention to what people in their 20s are doing because people in their 20s are going to be their customer of like they're going to be their most valuable customer in 10 years from now. And 
and understanding the differences in how they are getting information or just going about their daily lives ends up being really important. So I think it's, um, you know, without directly answering your question, I think paying attention to the trends and the things that are really speaking to younger people today is going to be really important. And I think one of the things that we are finding actually uh, in that generation, Gen Z, I think it is, um, is I think there's like a, a real drive toward authenticity. And I think that aligns actually really well with a lot of your audience and the things that we've been discussing here. I think you have, you know, the rise of thrifting in particular amongst this group, like sort of going back to find old, well-made products that have stood up and that like you can still find secondhand in a store. Um, They are definitely embracing social and they're embracing it in very different ways. And so I think that's important to to understand and know um, because they're the indicator of sort of how things are going to shift over time. Um, I think that... uh, they're also very values aligned in terms of how they spend their time and how they spend their money. And so it's probably one of the best moments for the independent maker and the independent retailer in that regard, because I think there really is strong values alignment. However, it's balanced with, they're also very frugal. And so I do think that there is that price consciousness um, that we're seeing sort of in that generation that almost is in tension with their values, which is why I think you see the rise of thrifting in particular, because it's that nice compromise between the two. So I think that that's a little bit of what's coming from like a generational perspective. I think in terms of what's coming in terms of the industry and the businesses that we've been talking about is we're going to see more technology. And I think that hopefully what we'll see are sort of more holistic solutions and now, obviously, from the perspective that I have, we're thinking about that all the time. We're thinking about how we can be more of a comprehensive solution to our brands and our retailers because we have the benefit of, of deeply understanding the type of business that they're doing together, which gives us data that understands, you know, where trends are moving and where, you know, how demand is changing over time. We understand the things that impact success on either side. We start to understand um, you know, sell through of our retailers based on like the things that they are reordering. We understand the success of a given brand based on how how well they're able to fulfill orders, you know, in terms of the, the service that they're able to provide. And we're looking to provide additional products and services to continue to help them. Like how do we help brands more successfully, you know, fulfill orders with great customer service for retail so that retailers, so that they can, you know, continue to have success and, and reorders. How do we make sure that our retailers can be successful with their customers and what can we build? So I think continuing to embrace technology to ease the parts of your workflow that free you up to do things that are more interesting to you, that exercise more of your creativity and that are that entails stuff that is just hard to replicate from a technology perspective. Yeah. I mean, that is the point of technology, right? To free us up to do all the things we'd much rather be doing. I love all yeah. of that. And I, I feel I feel very resonant with everything that you just said, even from my perspective. And it's interesting hearing a lot of that come from you because I probably haven't really put them in like in line in those ways. Um, I do want to go back to this Gen Z thing because for, you know, the audience, you may not having the retail store. I actually now employ a lot of 20-year-olds <laughs> to yeah. work my store, um, which has been a trip 
in itself for sure. Did I get them wrong? No, you got them spot on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Totally spot on. And one of the things that I want to share, which I found kind of, maybe kind of crazy, maybe not. I will say you said authenticity is one of the things that they value very much. But I also want to add transparency to this. Uh, They Mm want to know exactly what is in, you know, this thing that you're selling them, where all the pieces came from. They want to know who made it. Like they want to know. They need transparency in order to like mm-hmm. have the trust to do things. So authentic- authenticity, absolutely, but also transparency. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that one of the interesting things that I've found amongst our uh, our retail staff is that 20 year olds do not want to be or they are not on Facebook or Instagram at all. Like they Mm -hmm. are not on Instagram. Everyone think about that. If your goal is to start chatting up the 20 year olds and your nose is in Instagram all the time, you are not chatting up the 20 year olds. They're not there. They're on Snapchat and TikTok. (laughs) Yeah. Or be real. And yeah, there's a few others. Yeah, there are, which I think, you know, in our age group, like if you're on, you're probably on Instagram, maybe on Facebook, but like uh, the, the next generation of buyers hate Facebook, hate Facebook and what they're doing, what they have done, uh, which I think is really interesting. Whenever I heard that, I was like, okay, noted, noted, or y'all literally aren't even on it. And I love that for them. Um, I do too. Right. Okay. So maybe one last question from you, one last like sort of big question, then I have a couple Um, follow-ups. Where and how can small makers and retailers make the most of the current environment into the new year? Yeah, I'd say some some things that we're seeing is that on the retailer side, you know, retailers are buying closer in. They're they're buying cl- re- inventory closer to when they're going to sell it. I think most retailers know that like inventory that's sitting around is um, you know, is is a liability. It's it's um and it's preventing you from discovering new product and so we're seeing uh we're seeing more trends there and again, we offer, you know, free returns on on opening orders to try to take some of that risk out of that. So it's sort of one thing that we're seeing on the retailer side of things. And I think it's really important to set those expectations carefully with retailers because if you miss uh if you miss and you don't deliver, then it's you know, you're not going to get that repeat sale. You're probably going to get dinged when it comes to a review and it's going to really hurt your, you know, your future ordering. So, you know, Try to get those those fulfillment times down and and be honest about what you are going to be able to commit to. I think it's really important. And I, I'm going to bring you the second one. It's just like being really thoughtful as a brand about what your customer needs are, and um, you know, just talking to your customers, understand what those needs and trends are, and be able to more accurately predict when you're going to need inventory. Uh, obviously, the last couple of years have been really hard for brands when it comes to supply chain issues and shipping challenges. And again, it's another place that we're trying to help with provide data and trends on what's selling and you know where we see demand really spiking and what ordering ends up looking like so that you, you know, have at least a little bit more information to be able to prepare as a brand. But you know, just being really in touch with your customer and understanding what is needed, when, et cetera. Um, and I think Another thing that's, that's sort of really important for brands, and we've been talking about it, is diversifying the ways that make sense for you. Diversify your sales channels. And so, um, you know, we this is something we didn't actually talk about specifically, but over the last like 10, 15 years, I think we've seen the rise of Omnichannel where you have, um, you know, you are basically finding your direct-to-consumer presence. You're finding, you know, your brick-and-mortar store. And, you know, what we saw 
in you know the early teens, I guess, was this rise of direct to consumer and and it being really hard, it being really hard to like develop individual relationships with customers and people moving and realizing that wholesale is a really good opportunity if you are looking to scale. And so I think getting started on fair and and really you know being able to like dip your toes into wholesale without having to go to an expensive trade show, um, I think is a, is a really good option as well. Perfect. Awesome. I agree with all of those things from this side of things. I don't think I have anything to add. Mostly just keep on keeping on because what we are doing is super important. What you're doing is super important. And I, like I said, it, it is nothing but a privilege for us to be working to continue to support your and your community's ongoing success. Well, I very much so appreciate it for sure. And Carla, thank you so much for coming to chat with me. This has been an absolute treat. If folks want to get in touch with you or maybe just find FAIR, how can they How can they do those things? Check out FAIR, www.fair.com. It's the French word to make or to do. And um, we look forward to uh, more of your community joining ours. Perfect. Absolutely. And my last question, it's always my favorite question for everyone. What's making you feel most boss? What's making me feel most boss? Oh, this is a good question to end on. One that I thought, wish I had thought about a little more. Yeah, um, I like it to come just first thing that pops in your head. <laughs> what's making me feel most boss? Um, we're in the middle of 2023 planning right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's making me feel most boss is seeing my team put together plans and strategies for next year that are really customer centric and that are like really steeped in what's a customer problem and need to be solved and how are we going to go about solving it. I think as companies get a little bit bigger, you often start to see plans that center around how do we grow business and how do we optimize metrics and uh I've worked really hard. Max has worked really hard. We've worked really hard in building a customer, a, a customer centric organization. And so in the moment where you see that happen, uh, I, where I'm seeing that happen, I'm feeling really proud and I'm feeling really successful. Nice. Perfect. Great answer. Carla, this has been a treat. Thank you for coming and chatting with me. Thank you so much, Emily. I really enjoyed our time. All right, boss, because you're here, I know you want to be a better creative business owner, which means I've got something for you. Each week, the team at Being Boss is scouring the news, the best entrepreneurial publications and updates and releases of the apps and tools that run our businesses and is curating it all into a weekly email that delivers the must-know tips and tactics in the realms of mindset, money, and productivity. This email is called Brood. We brew it up for you each week to give you the insight you need to make decisions and move forward in your creative business. Check it out now and sign up for yourself at beingboss.club slash brood. That's beingboss.club slash B-R-E-W-E-D. Now, until next time, do the work, be boss.